Regina Nissan, the presenting sponsor of Off the Hustle Podcast. And this month, you can get into the all-new Nissan during the all-in clear-out event. Finance a 2021 Nissan Murano during the month of October for 0% for 60 months. Or check out and pre-order the redesigned 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. With Regina Nissan, you don't have to wait for a vehicle. Come down and take the delivery of your new Nissan today. Make sure to head on down to Nissan Regina at 1111 Broad Street, Regina, Saskatchewan, or visit them online at reginanissan.ca. And that's four birdies in a row for Drew Kosher to close out the day with a smooth 69, ladies and gentlemen. And would you look at that, Troy Kosher stripes one right down the middle on the wrong fairway. The Reverend can't drive, he can't hit his irons, and he can't putt, but boy, can that guy drink. You're listening to Off the Hosel, presented by Nissan Regina. Now here's your host, Drew Kosher, and co-host, Troy McClure Kosher. Hey everybody, we're back for another episode of Off the Hosel, episode number 97. My name is Drew Kosher, I'm your host. Joined by, as always, Stack Guy Rip, Turner Rip on your uh, full agenda today. No Troy. Uh, great guest on today. Sassy legend. But first, we welcome in Turner Rip on your. Coach. Episode McDavid. Episode McDavid and lots of talk about McDavid Rip. Yeah, the cheese. The, what do you call him? McCheese? McCheese. McCheese. Yeah, that guy, he's, he's something else. Uh, first, we get going here. Got to mention that this is a Nissan-driven podcast. Number one place to get your next vehicle, oil change, or any vehicle-related needs. Located on 1111 Broad Street in Regina, Saskatchewan. It's time today to make the switch to drive Nissan. All right, Rip. What's up? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been about, been a while. We've been busy, though. You've been busy. Um, good to be back, though, just chatting with my buddy. Absolutely. You're not wrong. I have been busy. I'm so tired. Yeah. These Sundays yes. are an absolute battle. But I like Home and home. homers, they bury you. Home and home on the weekend. We got uh, two points out of possible four. Four points out of possible six this week. It's a pretty solid week. Storm's, you know, playing so, pretty solid. Yeah. Playing good hockey. So it's good to see. That last night game was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, fun for a fan. Yeah. yeah. Made a guy want to have gray hair like myself. So, <laughs> but we pulled it off. Yeah. What, uh, do you want to walk through your game on Friday night? Um, you know, we just didn't play well. Played against, that was our makeup game against Saskatoon. We were supposed to have a bye weekend. Um, we lost, what, 6 2. Yeah, we just didn't play well, dude. They're such a hard team to play against, though, too. Every D man's like 6 foot 3. I'm not 6 foot 3. No. So I just, yeah, I got hit 900 times. It was funny. I came, I uh, I played quite a bit in the first period, and I came off in the intermission. I'm just like, I sat back, and Eskra sits right beside me, and I'm like, fuck, Mikey, I'm gassed. He's like, no shit, dude. You got hit 900 times. <laughs> fuck. I was like I, didn't, like, I wasn't at that point. I didn't really think of it. I was just like, oh, why am I so tired? Yeah. Fuck, when you, as a coach, when you tell your players just, finish checks and fucking it it wears down on guys so hmm. there's a good example right there weird it's, it's almost weird that i stupid or something yeah but yeah no it, you, you guys that's a tough it's a tough team to play against i mean obviously i'm not 
coaching or playing against them, but I've seen a lot of those guys play over the years. But when they're all put on one team, it's it, I'm sure it's tough for any team to play those guys. But no, I I, I didn't watch the game. I watched some clips with her and I watched the I checked the box score. It looked like you guys are pretty close in the first. So it was it seemed pretty tight at some point. Yeah, we uh, we all played them in the first period. We we're up one nothing late and. We ended up having a turnover where they went and had a breakaway and scored and made it one one. So man, going into the first intermission, there's a huge difference between one nothing and one one, especially against a team like that. So Yeah. Yeah, that turnover had hurt us, but um at the end we we didn't play good enough. We we weren't good. Um especially it's and we're not that type of team where we can just turn it on and off too. So you or, have it or, or we're not or we're not good enough either. Like we gotta we got to be hard to play against for 60 minutes. Like where there's the other teams like Saskatoon and U of A, they can Take they, the shift off. Here yeah. They can get away with that and fucking score six goals like they did. So, well, it's, uh, it's obviously never fun losing, but you know, take some positive out of the game. You get ready for this week. What do you guys got this week? We got Manitoba in Regina. So pack the barn again. Yeah. Pack it. How was How was the barn? There was quite a few people there. Um, well, it was also, obviously Babcock was on the bench, so everyone wants to go see him. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. A couple of the trappers showed up. Nice. Shout out to the trappers, provincial champs. Not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> was there, witnessed it. Yeah. Not the final game, but you know what I mean. You're there. Um, okay. We let, Let's just stick on the hockey talk here. We're already here. NHL is buzzing right now. But first, let's, let's go over this. Uh, I don't know if you have the trade here but jack eichel gets moved to vegas yeah. ikes to join ugh, mark stone patch shea theodore stud man rocket uh chandler stevenson stud like that team now has got to be you know i would think contender again i mean they're always pretty solid yeah they uh well this, they've been so good and the scary thing is is they really never ever had a number one center yeah like they're just they're so deep down the middle now they got Eichel. It's, I mean he's not gonna be ready to go for another three four months, but they're gonna be a scary team once when it becomes yeah March April, and if he's buzzing too and playing well, it it could get ugly for the Western Conference. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, they're I don't know they're a fun team to watch. Even even right now they're not they don't have a full lineup. In yeah, right they're now, just but, so banged up. But even when they they're guys that you know next next guy mentality, but they're 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 a fun team to watch. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Flames quickly here. I want to bring up them. The Flames are absolutely buzzing right now. Yeah, they're playing well. Winning. Not, yeah, they're winning. Lots. Yeah, Biz is blowing them. <laughs> Have you seen that? I did see that too, yeah. He's calling them better than the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I didn't agree with the better than, but because the Oilers are hot right now. What are yeah. they, nine and one? Best start in franchise history? Is that correct? I think so. Here, I'll check. Okay, while well, you check. Um, yeah, they're nine and one. Nine and one, beating teams, coming from behind to beat New York the other night. Yeah, that was disgusting. Let's talk about Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaitel. That goal was so stupid. I watched it six times. Yeah, <laughs> thousand times. It was unbelievable. How he's one on four, just made. These guys are the best guys in the world, and McDavid just goes eh, one on four. So yeah, That's I, could, I couldn't do that ODR. against ten year olds. No, I do that at the ODR against ten year olds. <laughs> well, I can't. And then go bar bar out. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Nuts. is this the National Hockey League? Yeah. So, McDavid, they, what are his and uh, Drysaddle stats right now? Uh, Leon's actually leading the NHL in points at 23. 
and then McDavid's right behind him in 22. And then the next closest, how about this? Ovi's got 18 points right now. He's got 10 goals. Dude, he's gonna beat Gretter's oh, record. No question. Yeah, like it's he's he's on he's on a fire too right now. Who's at 10 goals? How many games? Um, nine games, eight games. No, it's a little more than that. We're out of here. Anyway, eleven. He's Ten hot. and eleven. Yeah. And the goal best per. hockey lead in the world. Yeah, goal per. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh what else we got here? Hockey talk. I know there's lots here. Hockey talk, hockey talk. Um also f- bump, Ebbs had a hat trick, first ever hat trick for the Kraken. Yeah, that was sick. Yeah. Three talks, former guest, our bud, Jordan Everly. Yeah. Hazel bump. Hazel bump. Another former guest. Little Sill. Little Sill. He's buzzing too. Two goals in an app, right? One game? Yeah, the other night against Colorado. So he had two rips. Well, oh, that's an easy team to play. Yeah. <laughs> Ever heard of those guys? Fuck. Yeah. Assists on the OT winner too. So Little Sill's playing well, beating the wheels off of Vets. What a kid. You love to see it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. What else we got here? Hockey. Anything else? Not really. That's it, eh? Yeah. Uh, Florida still buzzing without their head coach. That team. Oh, how about Carolina? They might not lose a game all year. They they lost to Florida. No. Yeah. Oh wow. Still, they're still sick. Yeah, they they're only nine and one. <laughs> wow. Nine and one. Must be nice. That's sick. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> must be nice. In the best league. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh. Baseball, what happened there? I didn't. Uh, what's their team called? The Braves. The Braves won. I watched like the last inning. Yeah, there was a shit kicking for the seven rip. They yeah, they beat the Astros in six games in Houston. Oh, they won seven. I think on the road. Yeah, oh. seven nothing on the road to win the World guys. Series. Yeah, appreciate it. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't really watch much of that series. I was pretty busy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just doing stuff at night. So. What uh, golf? Let's go to golf here. Yeah, PGA. Golf, golf podcast. Golf pod. The OHL Classic. Yeah. The winner. Victor. Victor Hovland. What, uh, why don't you pull it up there, rip on your stats and rip off the top three. Oh. And then some uh, find some Canadians for us. Top three. Um, Victor, obviously, at minus 23. And then Ortiz was second at minus 19. And then JT was at minus 18. Right behind him, Scotty Scheffler, minus 17. The Canadians? Canadians. Canadians. Taylor tied for 33rd at dash 10. Svensson. Svenny. Svenny. T45 at dash 8. And then Hadwin, <coughs> T56 at dash 7. And there's a couple guys I missed the cut too. So. All right, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Next and, week, going to Houston? Yeah, Houston open next week. Any big names there? Nah, Probably. We got, you know, obviously, but none of them are. None of them are up right now. None are listed. None are signed up for the tourney. Yeah. But did you – you didn't see any of this weekend, though, for no. golf? They – there's just, like, monkeys walking around the course. Oh, I saw the clip on Snatching tour. bananas and shit <laughs> like that. So funny. There's – I don't know what hole it is, too. There's a, just, like, a, a hole in the earth in the middle of the fairway. See oh, that? okay. It's like, it's like a – it's no. a bunker. But, yeah, it's just, like, a hole. <laughs> it's a sinkhole? Yeah. Oh boy! I'll try. Yeah, I'll pull pulling up an Insta. What? Uh, um, I had something here. Had it. Lost it. Oh my! Look at this thing. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, it's just a hole. Might have been wasted falling that thing. Yeah, you wouldn't get out. <laughs> oh my! 
Okay. Yeah. Um, well, this course, so I'm going to Cancun this winter, or Christmas break. Yes, you are. And this course is that they just played at. It's like an hour away from where we're staying. I was like, fuck. We were just looking and at how the much, prices. And how much? Yeah. <laughs> was it like 290 to play during the day? Or 240 USD. And then 190 for prime time, Twilight. 190 Twilight. We're like, Psychos. Eh. Yeah. No chance. Well, PGA course. I guess, but dude, 240? Yeah. That's just that's just the USD, on the so that's like two seventy. That's just the stand on the on the golf course. Now you gotta you gotta play if it. You want a cart and you want? No, you probably get everything in. Oh, included, I guess. Yeah, it's a PGA course. Hmm, fair enough. Probably get away with murder, paying two forty. <laughs> Maybe. New TV shows you're watching? New TV show. I was just uh, I just finished watching Last Man on Earth for like the ninth time. Oh really? You've never seen it? No. It's it's funny. We, uh, me and a couple of teammates, we've seen it a couple of times, and we, we just fire off inside jokes and quotes and stuff like that all the time in the room. It's the best. I just watched The Great Battle today. And? It's a war movie. War movie. Yeah, I love them. Sick. Love war. Or, like, love war movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They're sick. Um, obviously, you've seen Lone Survivor. Oh, yeah. That movie's so sick. Yep. Um, I remember when I played Nestevan. We uh, we we never we're never really allowed to watch movies on road trips like to the game. Really? Um, we watch Stepdaughters on the way up. <laughs> get the boys fired up. We uh, but so we stay. It was a northern swing, so we stay in Nippon, and then we were playing in Lorange that night. So it's like a five-hour road trip. So Chris would usually like let us throw on one movie, and then for the last like two hours, you just chill and talk with the boys or yeah, whatever and. For some reason, we threw on two movies that day. It was the Lone Survivor one, was the second movie. So we like pulled up to the rink as this movie was ending. Dude, there was thirty people on that bus. Thirty people would have ran through the wall. That's sick. Yeah, like it was just like we were just watching this movie. It was so quiet. Everyone was dialed into the movie, and like as the movie ended, um, you rolled up. We rolled up and like we shelled them. We just kicked the fuck out of them that night. Absolutely. We were so fired up. Yeah, I and, love it. Yeah, and uh, oh my god, there goes my knee. <laughs> oh, we, two to four. Yeah, <laughs> two to four. Sorry, Todd. Um, the Laurent road trip, we'd show up a little like later than what we usually would. Yeah. So dude, it was like get off the bus, start getting dressed, and it was just like it was still in the back of your mind. Yeah, that's that's huge. We tried to watch Slap Shot on the way back. No disc in the movie case. And you just opened up the good idea, guys. <laughs> Maybe, oh, maybe, that maybe make sure there's a disc in there. It's not me. I'm not bringing movies. I, I, why did you watch film or something? Whatever on the bus. But yeah, so next time, busing 101, make sure there's a disc inside the case. Okay, rip off to our segment. Dude, where's your car? <laughs> Dude, where's your Dude, car? Where's Sunday? car? I had to find it twice this weekend. It was in the oh. same place. Oh, really? Both times, yeah. we. Uh, I was at Mike Esker's place twice this weekend. He, uh, he had some family come in and I met him this weekend and it's a hot, the hot spot these days. Yeah, um, yeah. Just hit it off with a couple of his cousins. They're a bunch of small town beauties from Alberta. Shout out to Landon and Dylan. You guys are, they're my boys now. Oh, what's the guy that? Yeah, you want to shout out his name? Oh, uh, forgot his name. So I'm in everyone that doesn't know. I'm in this practicum. So I'm in sports management in school, and uh, for our. Pr- practicum you're supposed to go experience so i i'm working with my uncle at the moose Jaw warriors sports management makes sense 
Yep. He, this guy got matched up with, his name's Luke. Luke is from Broadview, Saskatchewan. He goes to school at U of R now. He, his practicum, he's working at the intramural services. So he, he we got to go experience. I, he hasn't experienced mine yet, but so I went and did my hour or so with him. And yeah. He had to go hang up like flyers and ads for intramurals and stuff. And we're just sitting there shooting the shit, walking around the school. And man, like this is the first time we ever met. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm a big golfer. Like, he's like, oh, sick. Like, I, uh, a couple of summers ago, I used to work at uh, the Silvertip Golf Course in Canmore. Mm, yeah, I'm nice. like, yeah, I'm like, that's not cool at all. <laughs> and I'm like, have you ever been up north? And uh, he's like, no. I'm like, dude, these courses are unbelievable. So I start blowing Elkridge again. Yeah, shocker. And he's like, he's like, and all of a sudden he just freezes. He's like, wait, are you on off the hustle? Yep. He's like, dude, I, he's like, I just listened to the episode where you, uh, got your career around. He's like, that's sick. I'm like, that's, that's so cool. How he just like, wait, you're on off the hustle. Like, sound, he's like, I knew you sounded familiar and you like, you like your name was familiar. And yeah, he's so, a long time listener. Yeah. He said, uh, well, when he picked up, he started listening to this play or this podcast during COVID cause there's nothing else to do. And, um, yeah, and now he keeps on listening to it, and yeah, shout out to Luke from... And what's his favorite part of the podcast? Favorite part, he loves local golfers. So speaking of local golfers, yeah. Rip, we had, I sat down with two guys last week. We won't say the one guy, because it's going to be a big guest coming up down the road here, but the one guy's our, our, uh, our guy today, a legend, Ron Stewart. Stewie. Stu, the veteran. Ron... Uh, I think he's a three-time provincial champ, maybe five-time. Tells a lot of his stories. He's beauty. He's funny. Father of Dave Molson. How are you? Yep. Um, yeah. Tells some good stories. Tells some Ryle stories. Guy. Guy. Tori joins me for the interview all the way down in Alabama. But, man, we get another local legend on the pod. Saskatchewan golfer. There you go. Got another one back on. There you go, Luke. So, uh, Rip, anything else here before I send that to Ron Stewart? Let's send it to Stu. All right. Here's Ron Stewart. We hope you enjoy it. Off the Hustle is proudly presented by Cutter and Buck Clothing. Cutter and Buck Clothing is crafted for your active lifestyle, engineered for exceptional versatility, so it'll be perfect for work, work from home, travel, date night, golf, walking, boating, hiking, and entertaining. Their clothing is thoughtfully engineered with performance features like moisture wicking, stretch, UPF for sun protection, and with easy care and time-saving features such as durable collars, added spandex, and blended fabrics that are comfortable and stylish. Cutter and Buck shares their commitment to sustainability with their commitment to sustainable products, sustainable operations, and sustainable production. When you choose Cutter and Buck clothing, you are getting the genuine spirit of the Pacific Northwest. Check out Cutter and Buck on all their social media platforms. All right, we are pleased to have on today from Prince Albert. He's a sasky shooter, a legend, has won a lot, and all around a great person. With that, we are pleased to have on today the father of Dave Stewart, Ron Stewart. Ron, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hey, good morning. Thanks for uh, inviting me in. Absolutely. Okay, Ron, so let's get right to it here. Uh, you know, what's new with you? How are things? Uh, what's going on? Uh, well, it's uh, it's time to get back in the gym. It's time to get back in the front of the simulator. And um, 
sort of got thinking golf again after about a month off due to obviously cold weather and the course being shut down. But it's this time of year where, you know, you sort of in between seasons and uh, work is busy. And uh, you know what? Uh, our golf season is just so short. We try and pack in so many tournaments and so many rounds into five months. Um, I got to live in a place like Birmingham, Alabama, so I can golf year round. Wow. Come on down, big boy. <laughs> <laughs> well no, no rest hey so right back into the simulator i love it um ron i, I want to talk about you know even backtrack here um you know a young ron stewart what sorts of hobbies you're up to activities what were you doing as a youngster growing up in uh, prince albert uh well i lived in the west end of pa and i was about a block from uh our little league ballpark so i spent a tremendous amount of time either playing baseball or being at the ballpark and uh, one of the things about growing up in PA is that uh, that part of our life was was a big deal. I mean, it's not there anymore. Uh, the park has been uh, really basically knocked down. It's just open space. So I'd go there every evening and I'd uh, lean up against a little two by four on a, either in the, in the uh, fall ball side of third base or first base and chase uh, balls down and take them to the canteen and get 10 cents. Well, that was a bag of seeds and a drink back then. Or every once in a while, there'd be a home run. We'd chase the home run down and we'd hide it in the trees, pretending we couldn't find it. And then after, after the last game was over, we'd go and steal the ball and take it home. <laughs> so I'm admitting to a theft when I was about nine years old, I guess. Uh, yeah, it was a big part of our life. Um, we've got a field here called Andy's Walk Field. And Andy's Walk uh, was a very prominent name in the ball community of PA. His dad was a was an umpire and Andy was a really good player. He went out to Vancouver and played with the Canadians. To, I think it was triple a back then. So Andy and I lived across the street from each other. So we played a lot of ball together. So it started out as baseball golf uh, was very much just a, took some lessons when I was 11 years old, uh, played a bit with my buddies, but it really wasn't until later on where golf became more important. But when uh, we had a golf pro here named Hubert cook and the course is named after Hubert, and I think Hubert left in 1965 or 67, somewhere in there. And he taught golf lessons to juniors, but he wouldn't teach you if you're left-handed. That oh, was yeah. his demo. Really? Honestly, if you were left-handed, you didn't get a golf lesson from uh, Hubert Cook. You had to be right-handed. And uh, before a golf course got renovated and, uh, and sort of is what it is now, uh, we had an old clubhouse that, uh, I was sort of up on the hill next behind the first tee. And then there was some space in behind it where there was a little chipping green and a putting green and a, and a driving net. And, and Hubert would take us out to the driving net and, you know, have us hit balls into the net and then make some changes to our swing. And I remember this story very vividly. He would, you know, if, if you went up there and you took your stance and you gripped the club ready to go, he would look down at you. And if your thumb was down the grip, he would say, Hey, listen, get your thumb off the grip, put it in the side of the grip because I got a whole pail of thumbs in the back of my pro shop. Well, we were scared, we were scared as 11 year old kids if he'd come out with a knife and chop her thumb off. So that was sort of my indoctrination into a, a good Varden grip. Um, but you know, he was a, he was a unique character. Not only did he not uh, teach left-handers or keep take any, uh, have any left-handed equipment, um, he was kind of a grumpy old guy and juniors had to really watch their step and make sure that you didn't play unless, uh, he wanted you to play. And that was usually after one o'clock in the afternoons. 
That's wild. I'd say it worked pretty good. Whatever lessons he gave you, Ron. <laughs> yeah. So, so well, how many how many guys quit after the lessons when they found about their thumb? Maybe they cut off. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, you know, we've got some guys that you probably would recognize names of that went through golf lessons around the same time. There's a a guy named Bruce Horrocks and a guy named John Foster, Ronnie Harris, um, Tom Wormworth. Tom's a very prominent guy in the golf community uh, because he's now re- sort of retiring from being the longtime chairman of our PA Northern. So I grew up in that era and uh, it was it was really unique. Um, I don't know if I'd want it now that way, but we couldn't store our clubs at the golf course. So I had to carry my clubs in the back of my bike on my shoulder, riding a bike from the deep west end of PA, which is about a 25 minute bike ride. And um, that sort of, I guess, taught us some character as much as anything. Used to shag balls for a guy for a dollar an hour. I used to caddy for him and I'd get about $3 around. And although back then it seemed like, you know, a decent day's wages for caddying, uh, it kind of grew a little bit old. I went from caddying when I was 11 or 12 to probably the most, um, memorable caddying experience that I had was with Debbie Massey in 76 when Debbie won the Canadian ladies championship in PA. Um, that's a whole other story. I don't know. You want me to get into that? Yeah, by all means, jump right into it. I love it. Okay. So Debbie was the U S women's amateur champion and, um, she came up from Pennsylvania with a friend of hers from, Ooh, last name was Thompson. I forget her first name. doesn't matter. And, she, she came up to PA to experience golf in a different way. Um, our course was in great shape. Uh, we had a green superintendent called Squeak Nelson. Uh, his original first name is Gordy Nelson, but Squeak and I were good friends. And, and I got to caddy for Debbie because I was a caddy master. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take her. Uh, so we went out, played a practice round together. And I soon found out that she could hit a 10 yards past me right off the hop. Um, she shot like 68 in her practice round. She shot 65 in, in one of the four rounds. Um, she only warmed up by hitting 15 or 20 golf balls and went out and played. And after the round, we went in and had a Molson beer. Plug, plug. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, and Debbie uh, was just a phenomenal talent. And it was just resonate. I remember so vividly uh, that particular time in my life because I think she made an impact on everybody who she came in contact with. We even took her down to a couple of our local establishments, which uh, aren't really renowned for their um, ambiance and, uh, and characters. Uh, it was uh, a place where she had never experienced before. Um, and I think that gave her a little bit of PA flavor as well. So that was my last experience with caddying and, and certainly something I remember for a long time. Awesome. We could hold a whole podcast on old PA establishments. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to go through some nicknames, by the way, during the podcast, which uh, if you've ever been to PA or no PA or know some of the characters, you may even heard them and others, you're just going to, you're just going to laugh. They're so funny. Do you want me to get into that? Well, before we can, that, Ron, I, mean, I want to jump into uh, the move to Ontario. Walk us through that. Okay. Um, moved to Ontario after grade 10. Um, I played baseball down there for a couple of summers, played some golf, uh, couldn't make the golf team. The high school team was pretty good. 
and I couldn't make the high school golf team. Um, just sort of played for fun in the summertime, but that was mostly a baseball experience when I wasn't playing football or curling or, or playing golf. Um, I loved it down there. It was Georgetown, Ontario. Uh, any tournaments we went to, the courses were fantastic. Um, went and saw Jack Nicklaus play in the 1968 Canadian Open. Um, he came second. Uh, watched him play, which really, I think he became my first idol. The first person I really look up to as being a, uh, someone I wanted to emulate. And uh, that sort of got me, I think, realizing that golf is a, is a very serious sport that you have to have a tremendous amount of skill to play. And also you have to have the right mindset. So that was exciting. Uh, I watched, uh, there was a player from the U.S., uh, make a hole in one on a par three, Charlie Sifford. That was Charlie Sifford, cigar smoking Charlie Sifford, standing up on a par three with a cigar in his mouth and he knocks it in the hole. Saw that during the round. So uh, just, yeah, memorable spending a couple of years in Ontario and then came back and actually Ontario had grade 13 back then. So I was in grade 12 when we moved back to Saskatchewan and I got put back into grade 11. So <laughs> that was different. So I had to repeat the last half of grade 11, the first half of grade 12, and then graduated that following uh, spring. Wow. So that was okay. a little bit of my backstory. Speaking of baseball, a, a, a pretty reliable source told me that you were quite the baseball and football player. Um, do you want to talk <laughs> about that for a minute? Um. Well, I, I, I was a pitcher and, and uh, I had the opportunity to go to a Tigers tryout camp when I was about 16, 15, actually. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be there because it was for 16 and older guys. And I, I could throw pretty hard, but I had to really, really rear back and, and, and put a lot into it to get the ball over uh, with, with some speed. And I remember the, the scout from one of the South uh, Northeastern uh, pro franchises walked up to the mound and he kind of looks at me and looks at my hands, looks at my feet. And he says, well, how big is your dad? I said, my dad's five, nine. And he says, well, you know, son, you're not going to get any bigger. You're probably going to be as big as you're going to be. And at that time, that's, that was what my size was. And he says, you have to throw too hard or else you're going to hurt your arm and you'll never have much of a baseball career. So that was kind of the start of the end baseball i played some football i was a quarterback in high school for a couple of years in ontario and then one year in pa yeah Jeez. love it okay Favorite well let, let's jump into the the nicknames if you want to rip them off let's uh let's get into it oh oh nicknames okay <laughs> well there you go um i don't know i'm gonna throw one out there maybe tori knows it elk poacher deer stalker sewer breath I don't know those guys. Well, I might know the guys. I don't know those nicknames. Those are people's nicknames? Oh, well, that was one guy's nicknames. He had three nicknames. Oh, boy. First name <laughs> started with the letter G. Last name started with the letter R. But I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, his younger brother was Little Sewers because this guy was sewer breath. His little brother was Little Sewers. We had Jutes. We had Sink, Sank, and Sunk. Three brothers. That's the Harris what, what brothers. Dar what's Darcy's nickname? Boogs. Boogs. Yeah. Boogs. I was wondering where that came from. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Not really sure where that came from. 
Uh, we had Mickey. We had a guy called Banjo Eyes. He also had uh, a nickname he wasn't real proud of. He didn't like too much. His name was Pig Dog. So one day we went out to play a round of golf and somebody had gone to the 14th hole and 14 used to be a short par three and there was kind of a mound in front of a, a dirt bunker and uh, it spray painted the words pig dog on this bunker. <laughs> well, it didn't go over very well, very well. So he preferred to be called banjo over pig dog, which I don't know, it doesn't really, it's neither one's very complimentary. And he had a, he had a young son, so we called him bacon bits. Uh, there's goose, there's moon, there's quarter moon. There's a guy that came up from Toronto one time and uh, he, was a, he was a really good player, but he used to sing in the subways of the Toronto subway system. So we called him Subway Elvis. He spent a year or two in PA. Some of our PA guys will remember that. There's Bing, there's Pip, there's the goat. Um, actually, the goat is a guy named Bill Nutting who just recently passed away. And uh, Bill had moved down to Mississippi um, several years ago and remarried. Uh, Bugsy, who is our green superintendent, we had a couple of guys that kind of limped when they walked. So one guy was quarter step and the other guy was half step. And then there was step and a half because he, could, he had long strides. There's a guy named Doorknob, stubby, foggy, shaky, handsome, greasy Glenn, Tibsy, Jung, Bam Bam, Squeak, Poo, Worms, Groovy, Pistol Pete, and Meathead. So <laughs> PA has got a unique golf culture. Everybody seems to end up with a nickname. Well, I, <laughs> so you I'd just have to laugh. I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, PA is a, it's kind of a different place. Uh, um, we've had a long standing group of guys that have played golf together called the syndicate. And the syndicate has probably been going for 45 years without a word of lie. Uh, three times a week they play, uh, both weekend days and usually once during the week. And the syndicate was a place where if you were a newcomer to PA and you wanted to go out and play a round of golf and play for a few few dollars, you showed up at the putting green, maybe 20 minutes ahead of our tee times. You'd throw the ball down on the green and it would line up by handicap and your team would be pulled out by handicap. And away you'd go. You'd end up going to play uh, 18 with maybe three guys you'd never played with before. And it was really kind of open to all comers until, of course, we ran out of tea times. Um, so that was, you know, the syndicate is, uh, has really developed a lot of competitiveness, competitiveness in the, in the mindset of some of our guys here. Um, you're, you've always got a competitive game two or three times a week. Uh, you're always playing for something. Uh, you can still have a good time. But it's not like uh, anything life and death. And the stakes uh, really haven't changed a great deal in the last 30 years. It's like $2 front back in 18, you know, uh, 50 cent ticks, maybe a dollar for uh, three in a row, you get a dollar. So you're, you're never going to win a lot. You're never going to lose a lot. And you always uh, come out of it feeling a little more competitive. I think that's unreal. the biggest. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing too. And that we started doing that down here at, at my club, just getting all the guys, you know, we have a syndicate of, I don't know, 14 players and it's perfect because yeah. right? it, it makes you, you know, every shot kind of matters whether it's a tournament or not. But I mean, it gets that yeah. competitive mindset, which is nice, but yeah, PA is doing something up there. I don't know what's in the water, but uh, hell, hell, a golf crew up there. So. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, there's always been a lot of guys that can play at a pretty high level. And um, for the most part, nobody is, uh, is trying to outdo anybody. You just go and play golf, you know, and, 
And if you're a young guy and, and you want to try and get a little more of a competitive edge, then you play in the syndicates and it makes you better. Uh, some of our local members kind of cringe a little bit when you mention the name because syndicate, because they think it's a, it's an elitist group that gets uh, preferential treatments and gets preferential tea times when, Hey, you know what? We're, we're getting tea times the same as everybody else, but we're organized. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ron, I want to talk about, uh, SAS amateurs, how many and walk us through them. Okay. Three of them, a uh, couple of them in PA, uh, one in Saskatoon, 77, 87 and 2007. Then the one in 77 and 2007 were probably the most memorable because they were both in PA and in 77, um, I I was my I think my game was probably at its best during that time in the mid to late 70s and early 80s. I had three rounds in a row in the 60s and I had a bit of a lead going into round four, five, and six, which were played at City Club. And I remember this pretty well. I went out for a practice round before the last three rounds at City Club, and I, you know, I had shot another good round and I thought, wow, this is going to be pretty straightforward. All I have to do is, you know, keep it in the fairway and I'll be fine. But then I started to get really tense and really nervous in those last three rounds. And I shot like 77, 78, 77. And I uh, missed the team by one. So I was alternate that year. And it, it was hard to take. Like, I was not happy. I was pretty down. <laughs> and I've told this story before, but it's not something that probably many people have ever heard of but after the round was over and I hopped in my car and was driving home I had to stop at a Texaco station on uh, Idlewild and pulled into gas up and they were giving away steak knives if you had a, if you filled your tank you got a steak knife well I wasn't in the best frame of mind so I got this steak knife and it sat in the passenger seat the whole time back to PA thinking of different ways that I could use that steak knife to get rid of my frustrations uh, oh my god oh <laughs> uh, so that was that was a little memorable uh not in a great way uh the one in 07 uh because dave and i both made the team that year and it was in pa um it was probably the one that had the most significance uh just because of that factor and i i was in my mid-50s and i didn't think perhaps i'd ever have a chance of doing that well again so making the team with Dave is probably one of my highlights. Certainly uh, no question about that. And then we went and played in the Canadian Amateur at Riverside that year. And after round one, and it was a late finish to round one, round 7.30ish. I remember going in the scoring tent and I didn't have my glasses on. And I went through my card and signed for a seven. Well, I thought I signed for 77, but they posted a 76. Oh. and went into the clubhouse and they had a big screen with all of the scores kind of rolling through. And I saw 76 and, uh, you know, I didn't shoot 76. I was 77. So I went in to see the RCGA guys and I said, listen, um, I think maybe my score might've been added up incorrectly because I, I was 77. So he brought out the scorecard and sure enough, I'd signed for a four instead of a five and I got DQ'd. Oh. Yeah, and, and that was the, the first round of two-round qualifying to get into match play. And 77, and, I, and then I shot 76 in round two. 
and that would have made match play. That would have made the cut. But they allowed me to play round two because it was a team event, and then I could not play match play. So there was some consolation in that. But that, that was not a happy moment. Um, sure. It, it happens in golf, right? It only happens once or twice. Did you ever apologize to Brandon? Did you ever apologize to Brandon Markey for drilling him in the head with the with your hat in the parking lot? <laughs> I don't remember throwing my hat at his head. I know I threw my hat. I know I probably threw my shoes too. It was some <laughs> so, trunk slamming going on after that round. Um, some, some guy from PA told me that. I don't know. <laughs> he must be okay. Well, maybe I blocked that out of my memory. So, uh, Brandon, I apologize. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hey, uh, I think um, one of your most, to me, most impressive accomplishments is you've won tournaments in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. Like, yeah, that's that's unbelievable, man. Like I like I, I told you, you're Gordy Howe of golf. <laughs> uh, well, I think it just serves more age than anything. Um, I'm I'm creeping in on that uh, eighth century of my life. And I'd like to be able to uh, get one more in the 2020s, but we'll see. I'm sure you will. Look out, senior Northern. Well, maybe super seniors. Who knows? <laughs> Eventually, you get to an age where uh, you outlive everybody, and all you have to do is break 90, and you're going to win a tournament somewhere. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Ron, I wanted I wanted to bring up uh, you know nationals, and you yeah. know, I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard this before, but what did you found what it took to make it to get there, how hard it was yeah. and even, even how hard the competition was there? Yeah. You know, I remember a conversation I had with Jim Sissons uh, and Jim's the best player that's ever played golf in Saskatchewan bar none. I don't care what anybody says. Um, and Jim was one of my idols. I, I really, I played some rounds with him, practice rounds and competitive rounds. And I just marvel at, the way he used to strike the ball and the way he can manage the golf course. And he just, he just dissected a golf course and he doesn't hit it as far as others do, but I'm telling you, nobody hits it straighter. So I remember Jim telling me one time that after he would either make a team or win a provincial amateur, his work had just begun. And so his practice routine would accelerate going into the Canadian amateur or Canadian mid or Canadian seniors. <clears throat> and that, that kind of resonated because I think a lot of people think, well, they've got, once they made the team, then you can start taking some time off. Uh, it'd be the complete opposite to what uh, his mindset would be. So I always tried to prepare as best I could, not only for a national tournament, but also for uh, just regular tournaments. Um, I was kind of a practice fiend. I used to put a lot of time in, in the range and around the short game area um, because I think I wasn't, I certainly wasn't gifted with a natural ability to play golf. I think it came through hard work as much as anything and making sure I didn't have my thumb chopped off when I gripped the club. Um, and so I think that tendency to really enjoy practicing and to know that practicing makes a difference was part of what I had to do. Um, I don't think I did particularly well at the national level um, as much as I thought I could play. I, I think I was always a little disappointed coming back. There was only one tournament that I felt that uh, one national event where I felt I was playing to my potential. And that was the Canadian mid amateur uh, in Bathurst 
about 20 years ago. Um, the story there was, um, it was 54 hole, hole qualifying to go into match play. And match play, I recall, I think it was top 16 get into match play. And I found myself in second place um, playing in the last group and playing with guys that obviously wanted to be the low qualifier as much as I did. And on the 17th hole at Bathurst, it's a short, well, it's a short par four, but it's a long par three. It's about 250 and it kind of angles a little to the right. And on the right hand side, there's, there's kind of a bay that comes in near the green and there's some long, very seaweedy grass that was right next to the, the rough that was just short right of the green. And I kind of, cut my tee shot around the corner a little too far and I hit it in about eight inches into this long stuff and the RCGA were following and there was a few people following and I was playing with uh, Stu Hamilton uh, and Stu was I think he was the lead in the lead by a shot at that point so I went in to try and play it and uh, got settled in took out a pitching wedge tried to muscle it as hard as I could hit it out of the seaweed and I broke my hand I uh, broke the fourth metacarpal uh, spiral fracture and it looked like the knuckle had kind of dislocated. So the RCGI guy came over as I was gripping my hand. He asked me if it was okay. And I said, I think so. So I kind of reset my hand uh, and then gripped it and hit it on and knocked it in for a bogey. But uh, I had broken my hand and I couldn't play anymore. I couldn't even pull my driver out of the bag. And so walking up 18, the 70, uh, the 54th hole of the three round qualifying was a little bit of a tough experience when two hours later it was in a cast. Um, That's but that was probably the only event that I really felt like uh, I'd played to my potential. Wow. That's still yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. The hand still is, it's kind of a bit of an issue, you know, when the weather gets a little testy yeah. or you hit a hit a shot kind of out of a tough lie or maybe you hit a, a root and it just vibrates in the hand and so it's never really totally come back to normal ron i have a two-parter here um you know sure. winning and you know where did what obviously when you, you won your first time your first event or whatever it was yeah. um you know and then you found a way to do it time after time after time after again you know, walk us through that. And then also who was someone that you looked up to as a younger player? And then obviously as you got older. Oh, well, um, sort of a multi-parted question, I guess. Uh, when I first felt I could win, um, I think my competitive sort of desire level amped up a bit. So I didn't really want to not win. And so preparing for every tournament, whether it's a two-man best ball or a city open or a, a Mayday Masters was just something that, or a Northern, was just something that I felt uh, I really was driven by. So I had a very high level of desire and consequently was able to eke out a, maybe a few more that otherwise I'd give away. So the competitive spirit was there. And also, I think I was pretty sharp uh, mentally and, and physically. I could hit shots that just through repetition, through hard work. Guys that look up to, well, again, I think Jim Sissons was a guy that I always looked up to. I felt that, and having played with a guy like Brian Bamford, and Brian no longer plays golf, but Brian was a guy who uh, 
from a golf sense, I really looked up to. Um, there were other players in PA named Bordy Adams, who I really looked up to. There was um, Ted Anir back in the day, who was a great player out of Saskatoon. I kind of looked up to. I looked up to our two pros, Danny Dutris and uh, Clayton Robb. Uh, I looked up to them as kind of mentors of my golf game. But, you know, you're with a half a dozen other guys at your club that you're all battling for the same position. You're all trying to win the same tournament. So you don't necessarily look up to anybody who's local of your own age. You just played with them as a way of developing your competitiveness. Um, but I worked with Clayton Rob for three or four years, and uh, Clayton was a great guy. I just loved him. Um, he's no longer alive. Um, he ended up leaving PA and he went to become the head pro in Calgary at Pinehurst or sorry, at Pine Brook, not Pinehurst. And then his son, Randy Rob, um, went on to become a phenomenal player and is very prominent in the Alberta golf scene. I think he's the director of golf at the uh, new Mickelson golf Academy. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know if that answers the question completely, I think what I tried to do is I tried to emulate maybe others, either not from PA or others that I'd play golf with uh, at a national level. One guy who I just marveled at was Doug Roxburgh. I got to play with Doug uh, a couple of rounds at the Canadian Junior back in 69 at, uh, in Dartmouth. And, you know, his ability to just stripe it down the middle and be so consistent was someone who I, I really marveled at. I played with Dan Halderson and I used to, <clears throat> Dan Holderson was a very good uh, pro on the Canadian tour. I uh, remember one time playing with Dan at the Saskatchewan Open. I think it was 1980. And uh, having te uh, I teed it up with him in the first two rounds. I think that year I might have done something to qualify to be in that group. And he shot 68 at the old city club and he had 36 putts. And that is not a word not, of lie. Not terrible. He hit wow. every par every every par five and two and he literally two putted every green he had 36 putts for a 68 and he was just on the canadian tour at that time and and dan no longer is alive but uh uh he just pounded it and i was always impressed by that and sometimes maybe a person tends to swing too hard if you think that you've got to hit it too far and with today's technology you, you've kind of gotten away from that where you just by generating speed at impact, you can hit the ball so far. But back in the day when the clubs were not as technologically advanced as they are now, you had to, you had to really swing hard to hit the ball a long ways. And Dan was one of those guys. Awesome. Okay, Ron, off to our segment called Questions from the Gallery, sponsored by Molson Coors. Coors Seltzer's on a okay. mission, helping restore fresh water to Canada's River through the Change the Coors Foundation. Enjoy the Coors Seltzer Mixer Pack with four great flavors, black cherry, mango, grapefruit, and lemon lime. Please drink and drive responsibly at all times. All right. Questions for you, Ron. Sure. Uh, low round and where? Uh, I've had 63 three times, and they've all been in PA. That's not bad. Not bad. <laughs> hey, hey, Ron, who, who's longer, Gord Brown or Todd Bergen? Oh, Todd Bergen. <laughs> the stories about Todd Bergen. Uh, Todd, uh, Todd was a guy who, you know, he had a bit of a cup of coffee at the pro level. Uh, I think he hey, got the second stage qualifying. Sorry, Gord. 
<laughs> I'd like to say Gord, but Todd Bergen used to just smash it. Um, he was 350 long back before golf clubs were as advanced as they are now. Really? I think if he was playing today's golf club in his era and when he was in his peak, he'd hit a 370. He was massively long. That's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Kate. Uh, I don't know if you told this one or not yet, but I want to know how many hole of ones and was there uh, you might have won a car and a trip. Is that true? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had seven. Um, oh, okay, just seven. <laughs> first one was in 74. I remember really well. I was playing with uh, Pete Laconi, Clayton Robb, and Vic Bobak. Um, we were all playing best ball golf because we were trying to – play in this event called the Peter Jackson Pro-Am and Peter Jackson Pro-Am back in the seventies was a two man best ball. And you had to play these series of matches to qualify to play the Manitoba champion. <clears throat> so we're all playing it on 17. Oh, sorry. I'll backtrack a little bit. Uh, almost a year before that, I bought some insurance from the continental hole in one club, which was based out of Vancouver and uh, the continental hole in one club. I didn't know this at the time had gone bankrupt at about the same time that I got my hole in one in PA and first place or the first prize. If you got a hole in one was a trip, you could win a trip to Hawaii or you could take Mexico or you could take, you know, Halifax. So my wife and I were getting married in 74 at Christmas time. And I got this hole in one and it was about three weeks before my insurance uh, expired. So I was ecstatic. I mean, man, I called her and I said, I've won this trip. We've got this hole in one. I've got this insurance. I said, come to the bar. We're going to celebrate with a whole bunch of people. And so I ran up a tab in the bar and next I paid the tab off. I don't even know what it was, a couple, 300. Next morning we call Vancouver and we talked to Stan Leonard. And Stan Leonard, who has was one of Canada's famous pros uh, was the face behind the continental hole in one club. And I find out that 90% of their claims were faulty. I said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, we can't pay you for anything. We can't give you a trip. We can't do anything. I said, so what do I get? Well, you can charge up up to 200 in a pro shop. And I, I said, really? I said, I've, I've got a, more, a bill more than that in the bar. I thought I was going to Hawaii for a honeymoon. And now I can charge a 200 in the pro shop. He says, yep, that's all you get. <laughs> so oh my that was God. the, what a I went scam. from, uh, went from the penthouse to the outhouse real fast. I would have tucked it in the court. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'll see continental hole in one club emerging anytime soon. <laughs> Tori. So, yeah. So Ron, Ron, did you have any college offers? Back in the For day of the sport. Well, in, uh, in golf, scholarship opportunities weren't like what they are now. Um, there were part scholarships at some Div 1 schools. So my family and I went down to Seattle to meet the golf coach at the University of Washington. And <clears throat> um, they, have, they had a max scholarship of 1400 which was basically tuition um, at the U.S. level. And I met the coach. We went to the range. I hit some balls. I came back. He offered a scholarship. 
but it was about half of that. And my parents said, you know, there's just no way we could justify sending you away to the U.S. with a scholarship that really wasn't going to take care of more than just half of a basic need. So that was it. Um, my marks kind of dropped in high school. The motivation to be a scholar kind of went out the window. So that was that was a tough time because that happened in the spring of 1970. Um, and then the summer of 1970 was my last year of junior golf. And uh, <clears throat> that was that was the only scholarship opportunity I had. Unlike today where you can get headhunters or you can go out and try and get it yourself and, and have some opportunities at a Div 2 or a Div 1 level. And kids are very fortunate now. Uh, at the Div 1 level where they have four and a half scholarships on a golf team split up amongst anywhere from six to ten guys it yeah. is, is a tough nut to crack. Uh, in women's golf because of Title IX, um, they have six scholarships to give. And sometimes in women's golf, they just barely have six players on their team. So if, if you're a female player and you can break 80, there's a scholarship out there. Yep. There really is. Yep. Um, we could barely fill our, uh, our women's team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just the way it is. And, you know, it's tough. You see these guys playing uh, college golf and they're from all over the world. They're, they're not playing on full rides. Most of them are playing half rides, 25% maybe one guy on the team with a full ride, um, whether it's UCLA or whether it's the university of Tuktiak Tuk, it doesn't matter. It's you get four and a half scholarships and that's it. Unless something's changed in the last few years, but there's lots of schools with some scholarship money to offer. And, um, you got to hand it to the young guys now that, that want to go down there and, uh, and slug it out and get their degree because it's, it's a bit of a tough grind. College golf is hard. Yeah. Uh, okay, Ron, I want to know your ultimate dream foursome. Uh, Jack Nicholas, definitely. Um, probably Lee Trevino. And I guess Tiger Woods. Not because I love Tiger Woods, but because I think he changed the game when he came out. Yeah, and uh, I guess if you put three guys that I'd like to play with, yeah, those would be the three. Um, met Tiger Woods only once. Uh, didn't introduce myself to him or didn't even have a conversation with him. We were uh, we were in Arizona for a college event that Dave was playing in, and it was it was being played at the Casa Grande uh, location, which is halfway between Phoenix and Tucson, and one of the World Golf Championships were being played in Marana. And uh, it was practice round day. It was a Monday. And my wife and I went out to watch. But well, we, we were hoping to see Tiger in his practice round. And he did show up. He showed up a little bit later on, maybe 12, 30, 1 o'clock-ish. And we waited around for him. We were just about to leave. And sure enough, out he goes. So we, uh, we go out to watch him play. And we get very close to him because there weren't a lot of spectators there. And he was walking, I remember between 10 and 11 and there's a cart path and just a rope between us and him. And he walked right in front of us and this little, uh, little three-year-old kid sort of ducks under the rope and holds up his hat and asks, asks for a, an autograph. But I don't think it was proper at that point for him to sign an autograph. I'm sure he did later, but at the time he just kind of 
walk by the little guy and and uh tiger was striping tee shots but he hit the odd squirrely one he'd let he'd send his caddy over he, he would uh send over steve williams to pick up his ball if it was in the rough and he would go play the one that he hit in the fairway because he didn't want to interact with people that were you know too close to him he was very aloof that way but uh you know he changed the game there's no question about that we all know that yeah Ron, I'm shocked I'm not in your dream foursome, but uh, also, uh, hey, I just want to say, hey, Dave, Sorry. you got kicked Sorry. out by some schmuck named Lee, Jack, and Tiger. That's a tough one. Yeah, I should have been thinking but, a little bit quicker on my feet than that one. No, oh, it's all good. That's good. My apologies. I, I got one more. One more, Ron. Either sure. I want your best Rouse story or Rouse impression, whichever works. Oh, I got a good Rouse story, but <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stories that are offside with Riles. <clears throat> Riles impression. Well, guy, I'm watching the final of the lobstick final. And this, I'll get out of the out of character now. The lobstick was, uh, they used to actually put the lobstick final on the radio. And there was a radio personality in PA called Jack Sennon. And Jack Sennon was announcing the final and he's driving around with the club pro goodness knows who, who it was at that time. And they're following this group and Riles is out there following and he's got a giant watermelon with about 15 holes drilled in it. And there's 15 straws. So <laughs> call Riles over and say, Riles, what are you carrying that watermelon around for? He looks at them and he says, tequila guy it's tequila <laughs> and that's just how he is and anybody who knows riles from pa knows that he's he's a he's a one of a kind he's an original guy he's harmless he uh he loves golf but he doesn't play anymore and uh he's always he always shows up sort of randomly and hassles people on the first tee and yeah he's done some offside things though <laughs> he's the man i'm obsessed with him oh yeah he's he's a character that's for sure he, that's the elk poacher all right ron uh my last question here uh sure. usually how we end this thing off with um okay. you know just some advice for a young listener today whether it's to be a, you know, mm -hmm. a teacher or a doctor or a golf pro or or whatever it may be in life that they want to do um just some uh good thoughts and advice for them uh well, if you're playing the game of golf, you're going to encounter people of all different sizes, shapes, personalities, ethnicity, and you have to learn how to respect everybody and respect people for who they are and learn how to get along with people in an environment where it's just you and him or you and her. Uh, there aren't many sports out there where for four hours, you can be in a twosome or threesome or a foursome with people you don't know. And when you're done, you either best friends with them, or at least you've encountered something with them that might change you personally. Golf is kind of sort of like life um, because it's a game of a lifetime and there's not many out there you can play in your nineties. Um, I think it's going to teach you things about how to treat other human beings that will only make you a better person. So if you're going to be a doctor, or you're going to be a firefighter, or you're going to be a hockey player, or you're going to be a 
a wrestler or if you're going to be goodness knows what you want to be in your life. I just use wrestler as an example. It's kind of a silly reference. Um, golf teaches you about things that I think you don't get from any other sports. And you, as luck might have it, you might encounter somebody who uh, for four hours enjoyed your company. And many years later, they might uh, have an impact on you in some way. They might help you in a situation where you might be down and out and you just need a little bit of a, a push to get back up in your feet. Or they might be somebody who owns a big business and you might end up, work, end up working for them. Um, so I think golf is unique that way. And I would just tell any young people out there playing the game that uh, um, just respect golf, respect people who you're playing with and um, keep your emotions under control and, and it teaches you to become a better person. Well said, Ron, uh, we appreciate your time today. This was a lot of fun. Um, I think this is long overdue. Uh, you're a legend in, in yourself. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting you at some point down the road here. I am in PA next weekend, actually not golfing, oh, okay. hockey, but, uh, nice, yeah, nice. I'll be up there. Uh, thanks for your time today, Ron. I appreciate it. All right. You're welcome. Thanks a lot for allowing me in. Okay. This episode of off the hustle is brought to you by last mountain distillery. Last mountain distillery is family owned and operated. Located in Lumsden, Saskatchewan, the heart of green country. Our success lies in our commitment to producing high-quality, handcrafted spirits. Our signature products include Saskatchewan's best-selling, naturally-infused dill pickle vodka, which is on sale all month long at many places across the province. Also, don't forget to try out their new hibiscus lime vodka, only made by Last Mountain Distillery. All right, Rip. Episode 97 completed Ron Stewart what a beauty this guy is I had a lot of fun with it I know Tori did um, just talking about like winning and growing up and, and he's he's won in every decade or what it was it was like 80s 90s thousands 70s it was gross super cool this guy's Yammer Yager of the Saskatchewan golf world yeah exactly exactly what he is it's super cool uh good dude told some funny stories uh that i told ron uh want to meet you this summer in person you know maybe get a round in that'd be kind of fun but uh you know thanks to tori setting that one up had a lot of fun with it uh i hope everyone enjoyed it because it was good uh rip what else we got here if i wrap the show up today uh what else do we got we can go back to that yeah i'll bring it up trade go back to that trade the Eichel trade. Yeah. Yeah, I was going through Twitter. And Vegas first-round picks all time. So just if you get drafted first round to Vegas, you're basically going to get traded for a guy who's already a stud. Yeah. That's that's what we're going with. So Vegas first-round picks all time. Cody Glass traded for Nolan Patrick. Nick Suzuki, part of a trade for Max Pacioretty. Eric Brandstrom, part of a trade for Mark Stone. Their 2018 first-round draft pick, he was that was traded for Thomas Tatar. And then recently, the Peyton Krebs, part of a trade for Jack Eichel. Wow. Yeah. So if you get drafted by Vegas, long story short, don't get too excited. Uh, if you're a first-rounder, yes. Yep. Yeah, if you're a first-rounder to Vegas, wouldn't um, wouldn't, wouldn't buy all the, all the gear away. Yeah. 
Um, Probably gonna get dealt. <laughs> that'd be so. You like you get drafted to the Vegas. You're like fucking right. Yeah, let's go. Get to go live in Vegas. Your parents are probably buzzing. No, I'm shipped off to Buffalo. <laughs> or like Winnipeg is freezing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was gonna buy a nice house and play golf and. Yeah, but, uh, I was gonna golf for twelve months a year, but now I'm playing indoor golf. Yeah. So, not a bad thing, but if you're a first rounder to to Vegas, good luck. Yeah. Pack light. Good luck to you. <laughs> Uh, Riff, what else we got here before we uh, finish the show today? I don't know. I don't got much. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Well, Rip, we will talk to you next week. You play University of Manitoba this week. Best of luck. Friday, Saturday? Yes, sir. Friday, Saturday. Kate, play well. Good luck to you and the Cougars. Thanks, boss. Um, we got a game Wednesday, and then we're heading north up to Prince Albert and Care River. The northern swing. The northern swing. So, uh, other than that, I don't, nothing much more here today, Rip. Talk to you next week. You bet. We'll talk to you All later. Right. Everyone else, enjoy this pod. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. See ya.